that's at home, school, your workplace, or across the street. Relationships are everywhere. And having healthy ones are vital to living the best life possible. God designed us for relationships, and we are stronger together. In this series, Relationship Goals, we'll dive into what it looks like to cultivate healthy and thriving relationships in every area of our lives. want to welcome everybody joining us from Florida right now. Get up for Cape Coral, as well as Hardy Guy Behind Bars down in Florida. And also, if you're in Dixon right now, we love you, Dixon, very much, as well as State Line, our State Line location up at the Hananiga Performing Arts Center. We're glad that you're with us also. And also, if you're joining us online and on TV from anywhere, I mean, literally, there are people joining us in Haiti right now. There are people from all over the place. And we just want to say thank you for being a part of our City First Church family. And today, what I want to talk about is I want to talk about starting over. And I'm going to really strategically speak mostly to those individuals that are in a romantic relationship today. But listen, if you're single, which statistic would, would say this, about 40% of you are single. If you're single right now, listen in closely, okay? Because we could always apply the relational principles I'm going to talk about to every single relationship in our lives. But today I do want to talk uh, to those of you that are in a romantic relationship relationship and have all of the rest of us listen in. But I'm telling you, I want to talk about starting over. I want to talk about a do-over. I want to talk about getting a fresh start as a relationship, especially romantic relationships, all right? How to have a fresh start. And here's the reason why. As I was praying about what to talk about this last week, I thought, man, you know what? There's a lot of people that walk into all of our locations, thousands of people every weekend, and there are a lot of people that need a fresh start in their relationship. They need a new beginning. And, and I will tell you, if you're single in here, let me say this. If you desire to have a romantic relationship in your future, I want you to allow Jesus to work on who you are right now. And here's the reason why. Are you becoming the person that you are looking for? Now, I want you to think about that. Are you becoming the person that you're looking for? So many times we're looking for Mrs. or, or Miss or Mr. Right, right? We're looking for that person to meet a certain criteria. So here's my question. Are you meeting the same criteria that you're putting on somebody else in your future? In other words, making sure that, you know what, that you're getting yourself in a place of being healthy relationally so that someday when you meet that person, guess what, you're not having to fix things in yourself. So today, listen closely, because I believe that the principles that I'm going to talk about to those that are in romantic relationships, you can apply them right now to your life and you begin to do some homework for the person of your future, all right? And so also, just know that, that, that everything that we talk about today applies to every relationship. In other words, um, you know, whether it's a work relationship, whether it is a best friend relationship, whether it's a romantic relationship, the principles that I want to talk about today literally do apply across the board. So today we want to talk about having a fresh start. We want to be able to talk about getting a new beginning. For some of us, maybe a do-over. Now, though I am not a relationship expert, all right, let me say that, 
I will tell you that I believe the number one reason why relationships do not experience a new start or a fresh start is because people refuse to take an objective look at themselves. They're always trying to fix the other person. But are they taking a moment to actually look at their own life? You know, there used to be a show on that Jen uh, watched many, many years ago, and it was called uh, What Not to Wear. All right? I don't know if you have ever seen this show, but where not to, or What Not to Wear, where basically friends would vote, uh, like, and they, they, would, they would reach out to the TV show, and they would vote like a, a friend or a spouse or a coworker or something like that for the show to come in and have them do a makeover. In other words, to teach that person how to wear makeover maybe more appropriate kind of clothing that better kind of fit them to create a, a, a better way of taking care of themselves. And so the show was amazing because, you know, they would kind of come up to a person and that person actually thought that they were like hitting the mark with their dress and their look. And then the show would come in and go, okay, we're going to help you out a little bit. Now, I don't know, don't point at anybody, but you ever see anybody that sometimes you're like, they could use a little bit of help. They could use a little bit of advice, right? Because they get up in the morning and they look in the mirror and think, oh yeah, this is, this is hitting the mark. And everyone around them is like, oh no. Oh no, this is not even close to hitting the mark. We're not even on the same page, right? So, so this is the thing. When people in relationships refuse to take and step back and look at their own life objectively, when they refuse to do that, they can't have a fresh start. Because most of the time, most of the time, a fresh start means that both parties need to step back and they need to objectively look at their own life. And they need to look at their own actions and their own motives and their own voice tones. They need to look at how they're living, how they're treating the other person so that they can gain objectivity. They can have an objective look and they can make some changes and then they can have a fresh start. So here's the first thing you got to do. You got to become more self-aware. If you want a fresh start, you got to become more self-aware. Now, I would have gotten a lot more amens this morning if I would have started with, you know what? The other person needs to change. And everybody had been like, amen, preach it, Jeremy. But guess what? I'm starting with this. No, you have to become more self-aware. None of us have arrived when it came, comes to being totally self-aware. It's just not true. You know, we, we, just, we, just, we just have not gone to that place, any of us, where we are old enough or wise enough, where we see all of our blind spots. Accurate self-awareness is really, really, really hard to achieve. Like that old saying, does a fish know it's wet? Think about it. See, many times we are blind to areas of our lives that are creation, creating the relational struggles that we are experiencing. We're blind to these struggles. And we're just thinking, no, we're, we're nailing it. We're living it right. We're doing it right. This is who I am or whatever else. And what we're not realizing is, is some of our actions, our habits, our attitudes, and our mindsets are actually creating the struggle within a relationship. So we have to step back. And, and we think it's the other person's fault. Well, sometimes it is. 
I mean, sometimes the other person does have faults, right? Sometimes it creates a relational struggle, that other person's actions. But many times there are areas of our own lives that we just do not see, and those areas are creating issues in our relationships. Maybe it's our attitudes. Maybe it's our voice tones. Maybe it's our habits. Maybe, maybe it's the words that we're actually speaking. You know, for us, it's second nature. But for others, it's creating friction in the relationship. Do you understand? You ever wonder if other people see you the same way that you see yourself? Well, the answer to that is no. <laughs> because we see ourselves as more perfect or right than we really are. Years ago, um, I remember when our two oldest boys were going through a really rough spot. Like, they were literally fighting 24-7, it felt like. And it was like, they just were getting on each other's nerves, and summers were super hard. Those of you that are parents, you're like, in the middle of summer, you're like, oh God, when is school going to start again, right? Right? <laughs> yeah, we, I got a hand clap here at, at Spring Creek on that one. So, so here's the thing. It was like Jen and I were in the middle of this, like, this parenting hell. I mean, it really was. It was like, it was like Caden and Connor were just at each other's throats all the time, pushing each other's buttons, arguing over the dumbest things, right? And it was like they were just getting on each other's nerves. And, and so Jen and I felt like we were constantly breaking this up. And we were constantly separating them, constantly sending them to their rooms, constantly putting them in timeout. I mean, this was many years ago, okay? And I will tell you that we were getting so frustrated. And, and, and you know what? Jen one time looked at me and she said, well, Jer, if it's any hope, this is exactly what my sister and I were like when we were this age. We fought like crazy. I'm like, okay, so this is your genes' faults. I see. So it's, it's your side of the family because I'm an only child and I was always right. <laughs> so this is where I was very... Um, not self-aware. What I used to do is I used to sit down the boys and I would sit them down and, be, and I'd do the, the dad thing, right? I'd be, like, I'd be like, you sit there, you sit there, be quiet, don't touch each other, right? That kind of thing. And then I would go, now listen, you need to treat each other right and I'd give them a lecture. I'd do my dad lecture, you know what I mean? And, and they'd listen and then they'd go back to fighting eventually. But, but anyway, I would say things um, that I didn't realize that I was saying because they were habitual. And I would say things like, you know, you're always getting on your brother's nerves, and you're always doing this, and Caden, you're always doing this, and Connor, you're always doing this. And one time after I was given my dad lecture, Jen actually pulled me aside after the boys went to their rooms for time out, and she said, you know, Jer, you, you tend to say something that I don't think is helpful. And I'm thinking, we having this conversation right now? What? I mean, come on. And she goes, you say things like this. You say, you always, you always, Caden, are doing this. You always, Connor, are doing this. You always. And she said, when you use the word always, it's not fair. Because they aren't always doing this. And guess what? On top of that, they're not always doing that habit, saying that thing, doing that wrong thing. But when you say the word always, you know what you're speaking over them, Jeremy? 
She said, you're speaking over them a defeated thing. You're basically saying you're never going to change because this is the way you always are. And I didn't realize I was saying it. I mean, like literally, I, I honestly, that was not ever my intention. But, but you know what? I was saying it. It was just coming out. In the midst of that moment of tension, you know, where the kids are fighting and I'm being dad and all this kind of stuff, I was saying things that I didn't mean. Like the words were more powerful than what I intended them to be. And actually they were quite defeating. And I remember having to apologize for that and say, man, I'm, I'm sorry. And I remember telling Jen, you know what, you're right. And, and listen, do me a favor. If, if that slips out again, can you do me a favor and, and, and correct me again on that? You see, I was not very self-aware. And emotional maturity is hard to attain, especially if you are unwilling to receive correction from trusted others. So this is the thing. How do you become more self-aware? Well, a lot of times it's going to require others. As we go through life, you know, we, we, we are viewing, uh, you know, our, our life the lens of believing what we see is really accurate. And many times it's not accurate. Many times we need someone to say, listen, the way you're seeing the situation, the way you're treating that person, the way that you're speaking, it is not accurate, it is not correct. And you need somebody that's going to come and, and check you into the boards. You know, someone who's, that's a hockey analogy, by the way, if anybody didn't realize that, right? <laughs> someone that's going to come and, and kind of like in a loving way call you on that. Because for a relationship to experience a fresh start, both parties need to step back and take an honest look at themselves. And the only way to do that is to look into a mirror. And you say, how do I look into a mirror? Well, there's two mirrors primarily in our lives. Number one is this, the Word of God or the Bible. That is, that is the best mirror. In fact, the Word of God, some of you are like going, well, you know, I don't understand the Word of God, and I don't get I get that. So listen, get into a life group or ask someone around here about how to read the Bible or, or, or look online, like on YouVersion, um, for like a devotional or something like that that helps you. Because this is the thing, you got to have the Word of God in your life as a mirror. Because without the Word of God, you are blind to areas and faults and shortcomings in your life. But you know what the Word of God does? The Word of God assesses who you are. The Word of God tells you how Jesus or God wants us to live, and then the Word of God helps you get there. Does that make sense? So it's like a mirror. You have to have that to be able to be self-aware. Number two is this, is that you need some close friends or family that are a mirror to you, trusted others, not just anybody. I realize some of you go, man, my family is not, is not the mirror. Trust me. They are not the mirror. And I get that, okay? So find somebody. Again, shameless plug for life groups. That's why we get in life groups, because sometimes we can be a mirror to one another, and we can help each other become better and see things, right? Jen and I are doing this all the time. I mean, you know, we, we step on a lot of stages. We talk in front of a lot of people. So usually right before we get on a stage, we look at each other and we're like, do we have anything in our teeth? I have anything on my back, you know, hanging off some string or whatever else. Is there anything, you know, I, whatever. And, and this is the thing. We help each other because we can't see all the deficiencies without each other. 
That's why Christianity is very interesting. Christianity is a personal relationship with God, which must be done in community. Because the community aspect is what creates the mirror. It helps us because left to, up to ourselves, we can get really, really off track. And we can begin to believe things about our faith that aren't really true. And, and, and here's the thing. We need other people. It's both and. It's a personal relationship with Jesus that's done in community. So you have to ask somebody spiritually, do I have anything in my teeth? Is there anything that's kind of off? Ask permission to be able to um, speak honestly to one another, to be able to share with one another, for it to be a safe environment. And listen, that's not just everybody. That's maybe just one, two, three other people. You know what I'm saying? So the first step is self-awareness. And this is why I think most relationships do not have a fresh start, is because people will not do the brutally hard work of taking a step back and looking at their life objectively. And so it stalls out right there. So if you can get past that first step of self-awareness, there is a second and equally important step. And I will tell you, it's also equally as hard. It's equally as hard as self-awareness, all right? In fact, I just have a question. Does anybody at any of our locations, on the count of three, I'll count to three, and you just shout something out. How many of you think you know what the second step is to be able to have a fresh start in a relationship, all right? I want you to think about that. What is the second step of having a fresh start in a relationship, okay? On the count of three, just shout it out. Ready? One, two, three. All right, I heard, I heard somebody say it. I, forgiveness, right? Oh, man, forgiveness. Self-awareness and forgiveness. Self-awareness and forgiveness. I know you came to church today and you just wanted to kind of be tickled and you know you want to have all goosebumps and stuff like that. And today I'm talking about self-awareness and I'm talking about forgiveness. And you're like, oh man, are you kidding me right now? This is hard stuff. And it is. It's, it is it's super hard stuff. I one time heard a, a, about a husband and a wife that were in an argument and they kind of decided to give each other the silent treatment and they stopped talking to one another. And so nighttime came and, and the husband wrote a note to the wife and said this, wake me up at six o'clock in the morning, I have an appointment. And wrote it on a sticky tab and put it on her nightstand and went to bed. The next morning, he woke up, and it was 8 o'clock. He looks over at the clock. It's 8 o'clock. He's furious. He's about ready to chew his wife out, and then all of a sudden, he looks down, and he sees a sticky tab on his nightstand, and it said, wake up. It's 6 o'clock. <laughs> Some of you that you're in a marriage, you know what I'm talking about, right? You're like, ooh, yeah, that was this week. Got to have forgiveness. Bishop uh, Desmond Tutu said this. He goes, without forgiveness, there is no future. That is a powerful quote. Without forgiveness, there is no future. You know, someday when we get to heaven, it's going to be fun to have Jesus play back all the recordings of our shower conversations. You say, what are the shower conversations? That's when you're alone in the shower and you are having the best conversation of your life with that person you're mad at, right? 
You're saying everything right. You're saying it accurately. You're giving them the what for, all right? Right? In fact, you know what? Probably stats are that you spend about 5% of your time in the shower washing, about 10% singing, and about 85% having imaginary conversations with other people, right? And you win 100% of the time. Here, if you look at the word forgive for a moment, it's really broken up very inter interestingly. It's for and then the word give. For give. When you actually forgive, you're actually giving something. That's the last thing you want to do with somebody you're mad. You don't want to give them anything, right? Or maybe you want to give them the wrong things. You want to give them a piece of your mind, right? But this is the thing. Forgiving is actually giving. What do you do? You give up the right of revenge. You give up the right to hurt them back. You give up the past sins that were committed towards you. You release them to God. You give up the right to collect your debt from them. You give up the right of retribution. Again, as I'm saying that, you're like going, I don't want to do that. No one does. No one does. But this is so very important when we understand forgiving. Forgiving is not about them. Forgiving is actually about you. And your emotional and mental and spiritual health. In fact, the Bible says this in Romans chapter 12, verse 17. It says, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you. Let me repeat that. As far as it depends on you, all right? Live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. In other words, when we try to re revenge or avenge, when we try to take revenge, when we try to collect our debt, then we squeeze God out of the equation. So what Paul is saying here is that, you know what? Don't repay evil for evil. Leave it up to God because this is the reason why. God is an excellent scorekeeper. We do not need to help him at all. He can do it. And there's a Chinese proverb that says this, he who seeks revenge should dig two graves. See, when you try to take revenge, guess what? You are taking that situation of hurt and you are tying it to yourself. Forgiveness releases that situation from you because holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. See, you got to kill those seeds of bitterness and revenge and hurt. In fact, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, be careful that none of you fails to respond to the grace which God gives, for if he does, there can very easily spring up in him a bitter spirit. And don't raise your hand, okay? And definitely don't point, but how many of you know somebody that has a bitter spirit right now? Like it oozes out of them. Like no matter how much they try to, um, to smile, no matter how much they try to say the right things, no matter how much they try to make the balancing statements, there's something that 
emanates from them, and you can tell they're a little salty right now. They're a little bitter right now. You see, if you do not respond to the grace which God gives, guess what? There can spring up inside of you a bitter spirit, which is not only bad in itself, but also poison the lives of many others. How many of you know that bitterness never stays contained? It always begins to contaminate the other people around that person. Pretty soon there's a whole group of people that are bitter. Pretty soon there's a whole life group that's a little wonky. Pretty soon there's a whole, like, part of the office, this set of cubicles that all have a bad attitude, right? Because guess what? Bitterness never stays dormant and it never stays contained. That spirit begins to spew out over everything. And pretty soon the whole family's mad. And pretty soon the whole neighborhood is ticked. Or whatever else. I'm telling you, it is like a virus. It can be caught. So that's why you want to be careful to limit yourself from being around people who are bitter and angry so you don't pick up that bitterness and that anger and take up an offense and all those kind of things. So you got to respond to grace. you got to let it go. you got to frozen this thing a little bit. You know what I'm talking about? Some of you get that. Some of you, you know, just wait. I won't sing it for you. All right. <laughs> It'll be in your head forever. And every, <laughs> it already is. Some of you got Disney Plus, and it's like in your mind all day long. Let it go, let it go. All right. I, wanna do, I do want to say this, though. In front of me right now at all locations, including here in Spring Creek, um, there's all types of offenses and all kinds of relational hurts. And I want to be um, very careful because I realize some of them are very significant. And, and some relationships, honestly, are, are right now hanging on by a thread. Um, some have been restored. Some are in the process of restoration. Some, of the, some relationships that I'm talking to right now are beginning to uh, digress. All right, some relationships, there's been such hurt that it may be very hard to even have um, any sort of a, a reconciling. I, I mean, I don't know. I just know there's all kinds, like literally thousands of relationships represented over this weekend. So I'm going to be super careful to, to not make forgiveness sound like an easy or a simple act. All right, do you hear that? However, let me real quickly, and I mean, I'm talking real quickly give you some points about forgiveness. Number one, forgiveness is a choice. It's rarely a feeling. If you are waiting to feel like forgiving, um, you will wait forever. Um, forgiveness is most often 95% or more of the time. It is a choice. You choose to forgive because it is about releasing that, that situation that is tied to you, that hurt, it's about cutting it off. It's about saying, I am not going to allow my future to be stolen because of the offenses of the past. I'm not going to do it. But rather, instead, I'm going to release it. I'm going to put forgiveness like a weed killer on the seed of bitterness. Because the alternative to not forgiving are things like bitterness, hate, and revenge. And you do not want your children or your grandchildren saying the following. You know what? Someday I want to be, grow up like dad because he's super bitter. Or, you know what? Someday I want to be like mom because she just has so much hate inside of her. Or someday, you know what? I want to be like grandpa because he always got revenge. See, we don't want that, right? Number two, 
Time does not heal all wounds. You hear that? Time does not heal all wounds. Just letting time pass is not the same as forgiveness. Forgiveness is an act, it is a choice. It is not just something that just happens. It's not laissez-faire. It's not hands-off. Instead, it's something that you choose to do. The only thing that heals is your partnership uh, with the work of the Holy Spirit. And so you choose to say, I'm going to go on a journey with you, Holy Spirit, and I'm going to embrace your work. I'm going to forgive. I'm going to make the choice of forgiving. I'm going to not leave things unresolved. I'm going to deal with them. Number three, it may be impossible to forgive and forget, so instead, forgive and learn instead. Forgive and learn. Some people are like, well, we're supposed to forgive and forget because God forgives and forgets. Yes, but he's God. And how do you forget an affair? How do you forget a deep wound or a hurt? How do you forget those words that were spoken? You don't. So for us to like come up, by the way, this is like an old English, like it's about two, three hundred years old, this saying of forgive and forget. It's not from the Bible. It came up about two, three hundred years ago in culture over in England. And, and this idea of forgiving and forgetting, we go, okay, I just have to forgive and forget. But how can you forget certain things? The reason why God can forgive and forget is because he's God. But number two, very importantly, he doesn't have anything to learn. And we have a lot to learn. He already knows everything. So we can forgive and learn. Does that make sense? Not forgive and forget. Yeah, you can give that a round of applause. There is a difference between not forgetting and fixating, though. Do you hear that? So listen, learning and fixating are two separate things. We cannot fixate on the pain or the offense. Otherwise, we will just revisit that and we'll keep on stealing our future. But rather, when we learn, we say, God, what can I learn from this? And how can you take pain and how can you create purpose out of it? God will never waste your pain. Do you hear that? He'll never waste it. He'll always make you stronger and better and wiser through it. And last but not least, never underestimate what Jesus can do when two people yield to him. The word yield there needs to be circled, underlined, italicized, and bolded, all right? When they yield to God, we believe at City First that God can do amazing things. He can do miracles in people's lives. He can bring relationships back together. He can change those people that you think are unchangeable. He can heal hearts. He can heal wounds. He can create beauty for ashes. So you know what, especially for those of you that are married, which is the most important earthly relationship in your life. Pray over your spouse. Speak life over your spouse. Protect that relationship. Believe the best. Don't ignore it. Because it is the most important investment you can make this side of eternity outside of your relationship with Jesus. Like if you bought a brand new house and you spent all kinds of money and it had a major leak on the second floor of a faucet, and it's leaking all gallons of water, gallons of water, and it's starting to come through the light fixtures on the first floor, and it's starting to like make the ceiling deteriorate, and it's going down into the foundation. You wouldn't sit there and go, well, it'll just fix itself over time. You wouldn't sit there and go, ah, we just won't talk about it. I'm sure it will go away. Or, or you know what? I don't want to make any investment or spend any money on that because I'd rather buy new furniture instead. 
You wouldn't do that. You would do whatever it took to stop the faucet from leaking, right? And in the same way in your relationship, it is the most important earthly investment you have. Therefore, it should take your top priority, your top attention, your top effort if there's something that is gushing right now. Hurt, pain, offense, whatever it is. This is why we have marriage classes. This is why we have the marriage conferences. Marriage conferences in the fall, I believe it is the 12th of September. Put it on your calendar now. Start saving up money now. I mean, it isn't that expensive. Listen, we got till September. You can save like 50 cents a week or something like that, all right? Whatever it is. So, so, so don't have an excuse you don't have money. I'm telling you way ahead of time, all right? It's in September. Also, we have marriage classes at all of our locations. You can go to the location and find out about it. In fact, here at Spring Creek, we got one starting up real quickly here. And you know what? It would be well worth your time to get into it. But we believe in a God that does miracles. In fact, I want to share with you a story of one person that, um, you know, prayed and another person that God changed his life and and then God began to work in both of their lives and they both began to pray for one another and this marriage was, was all but over and God did a miraculous work. Let me introduce you to the Beardsworths. Watch this. Well, I met Lisa and to be honest, I fell for her in two weeks. So uh, it didn't take long at all. She took my heart quick. So uh, Mike and I got married in January of 2011. We had the dream wedding on a beach in Mexico. And then two months later, I got pregnant. We were on cloud nine. I can't believe, you know, everything's going as planned. Um, and then tragedy started in May. Uh, May 20th, my brother committed suicide. And then six days later, I, I lost the baby. And then in August, we got pregnant again. So we were like, awesome, uh, we're, we're, we're back on the mend. And uh, five weeks into my pregnancy, uh, I started bleeding and uh, went to the doctor and they said, you have a torn placenta. I said, well, what, what are the odds that, you know, we can carry this baby? And they said, I, I can't even give you a percent. At 30 weeks, uh, complications landed me in the hospital. I was in the hospital for five weeks, hooked up to machines 24 seven. Our baby was born, he was beautiful, uh, perfect health, uh, so we were uh, extremely blessed, uh, but my medical conditions uh, continued. We got blessed with an angel. There's no way to get around it. And that evening, it was the best sound I heard was his first cry. And I wanted to be excited for him and for us, but I had to worry about my wife surviving. We've got through all of her surgeries. Um, still had struggles for, you know, for for two years with her, with her health. I think Mike had a hard time probably trying to figure out how to help me and and help take care of our family. I didn't know what to do. I just worked. Working that much hurt us. We. We both just weren't, we weren't communicating like we're supposed to. After all the struggles of, that we went through with not communicating, um, with finances, with, you know, with, uh, with all the, the health, uh, all the trials and tribulations we went through, we separated in August of 2014. I was lost.
you know, you build this image in your mind of what marriage and, and family is going to be like, and then tragedy hits and you don't join forces to, to, make, it, to make it work. It's devastating. It's, it's like a death when, when you separate. I just felt very like a failure, how something so good could go so bad so, so quickly. Then I remember getting on my hands and knees one night and just saying, God, please help me, you know, please help me uh, navigate through this. Tell me what you want me to do. What am I supposed to do? That's when I started coming to church. I remember the more I came here, uh, the more I started to look at people different. You know, I started to see people that were struggling too. They were struggling like I was. You know, I no longer thought about poor me. Why did all these things happen to me? My mind started to think more about, my God, how, how blessed am I? You know, thank you. Happy that I'm alive and my son's alive. And just, it's just gratitude. I, I noticed Lisa's, um, her demeanor started to change. The anger wasn't there as much. It got me curious. I invited Mike uh, to the Christmas Eve service here. She asked me to go to church on Christmas Eve. And of course, my mentality is, you know, check it off the list, it's Christmas, you go. And when I walked into the church, it was overwhelming. And immediately I saw families, which hit home. But sitting there through the message, listening to Jeremy, I got that feeling that, you know, there's nobody else in this room right now. It's every week it was Pastor Jeremy was talking to us somehow, some way. And we started talking about the messages. So uh, we started to communicate on a level we hadn't before. And I wanted more of it. I wanted more of church, and I wanted to be around her more. So we ended up getting back together. If I can give anybody any advice, it'd be put God first. You put God first, and he will align you with your spouse and slow that through. I'm, I'm convinced, you know, sometimes it's like maybe God had to knock us off, off our pedestal, and uh, we had to start with a, start building a solid foundation that we didn't have before. I think so many people think that they can control uh, everything that goes on in their life, and, and the more you try to control, the less control you have. So I think that's probably a, a struggle is, is to, to ask for help, and the only person that can help you the most is God. amazing. Come on, let's give God praise. Can we do that? You know, as we close here in a moment, um, we actually filmed that story years ago. And I'm happy to say that that family is still intact. Not perfect, thriving. God is blessing. Listen, this is something where God does a restorative work and it's a permanent thing. You know what, I wanna read for you Jeremiah 33.3 as we close. Call unto me, God says, capital M there, call unto me and I will answer you and I will show you great and wonderful things which you do not know. That's my prayer for every single relationship here under the sound of my voice, that you will call unto him and he will answer you and show you things. Show you things about you, self-awareness. Show you things that you must choose, forgiveness. And show you wonderful things that he will do to restore and to give you a fresh start. So let me pray for you 
I wanna pray for every relationship under the sound of my voice right now at every single location. So go ahead and just bow your heads, close your eyes if that's all right. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for every relationship that is in front of me right now. And Lord, I pray that your blessing and your favor and your spirit would be in the middle of it. God, I pray that we would make the right choices to step back, to be objective, to be self-aware, to put down our pride, to humbly ask those around us where our blind spots are, that we may improve so that we can be more whole and healthy spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and relationally. And Lord, I pray also that today, even beginning today, that God, we would do the hard work of forgiveness, realizing that it is a choice, it's not a feeling. And we've been drinking the poison too long and expecting the other person to get sick. God, I pray we let it go. That Lord God, we would learn, that we would understand, but we would realize that forgiveness is so that our future is not robbed by our past. So Lord, I pray, help us to have the guts and the boldness to do it. We love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God praise. Can we do that? What an incredible message from Pastor Jeremy. Well, I wanna take a moment, and if you've recently made a decision to follow Jesus, I wanna congratulate you because that is the best decision that you could ever make. And we wanna point you to a next step, and we're all about taking next steps in our faith journey here at City First. So if you go to our website, you'll be able to find our New Beginnings resource totally free and what this will do is help you begin to take those next steps in your relationship with Jesus. I also want to encourage you to tune in next week because we are kicking off a brand new teaching series entitled March Madness where we're going to talk about the things that we have to navigate in this life, things we may wrestle with with worry or fear or anxiety and we're going to talk about how God wants us to approach these things. So with that, we always say that church is better in person. So we'd love to have you at one of our locations. You can find all of that information online or simply just Google City First Church. So thanks for tuning in and being a part of our church online family. We hope you have a great rest of your week and we'll see you next time.